Well, good morning. So we're going to play Pictionary today um, in church. And we like to try to plan ahead. We try to work pretty far in advance in planning worship so that we can be organized and try to be creative, and we try not to do things at the last minute. But I'm making a point that uh, might be a little confusing, and so I had this idea last night that it's like I could text Jarek and we could draw something that will actually help illustrate it. It may actually hurt the process of communicating what I'm trying to communicate today, but at least it won't be boring. So we'll get to it in just a minute. This is just like a, it's a teaser here, because there's nothing like in the year 2017 to go high-tech with a flip chart and a black magic marker uh, to make a point. But uh, friends, today as we journey into this first teaching series of the new year, Um, We are going to be looking at one of the most fascinating lives that you will ever encounter. We're going to be looking at somebody who goes on a journey in his life that is a lot like the journey that you and I are on today. It's a journey of dreams and of hopes and of accomplishments and of betrayal and of loneliness and of shattered dreams and ultimately of redemption that comes out of pain in many ways as well as just the wondrous ways that God shapes and molds our life. And our hope in this journey that we're going to take with Joseph from the book of Genesis is that as we study him over uh, several weeks to come, that no matter where you are on your journey, whether this kind of idea of exploring Christianity or Jesus is new to you, or if this is something that has um, you know, you've done, I've done multiple Bible studies on, on Joseph, and I know in the Aramaic what it means. I don't, you know, all this other stuff. That no matter who you are on your journey, you can learn something about the experience of being alive for yourself and for our world from the journey that he goes on. Okay? So I hope and I, I pray that this is going to be uh, uh, something that's enlightening for us all. The scripture passage we're going to start with today is where we first encounter Joseph in the book of Genesis. It's from Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. And this is what it says. Jacob, that's the father of Joseph, Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. And this is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that's also what Jacob was referred to, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, and then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream. He hadn't learned not to open his mouth the first time, and told it to his brother saying, look, I've had another dream. And they said, yay. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that this day you would speak to us all about our own journeys and how you are molding and shaping and forming each and every one of us. Help us to see your fingerprints on our lives this day and always. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I have to say from the beginning that we're going to spend a lot of weeks studying the person of Joseph. This is kind of a bizarre passage of Scripture to stop with because nothing really gets tied up, right? Like nothing really happens that you could point to and say, he was struggling with this, and then this happened, and so here's what you should go and do and think about with your life. In these 11 verses, all that we pretty much get is that Joseph is kind of a self-centered, obnoxious, entitled 17-year-old. And I'm not saying that anyone else here who's 17 is the same way. In fact, I would look at it and say that it's kind of incredible to me, Joseph, and how naive he is. Because you're looking at it going, dude, by 17, you should be able to pick up on enough social cues to not feel like your brothers are going to be excited as you are about these dreams. Like at 17, you should know that your brothers are going to kind of resent you continuing to come with these dreams. But it's like Joseph's like a little puppy dog, right? It's like every time he's running, he's going, guys, guess what? I had another dream. Like you can imagine them. And it's like, how do you not pick up on the fact that they don't want to hear it? How do you not pick up on the fact that you are going down on the popularity scale with them? You know, they, you know, they are defriending you as you go. And it's like, great, isn't this amazing? You know, it's like, I had this dream and all of you, like you bow down to me and, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, raise your hand if you're excited by the dream. Who's excited? And it's like Joseph thinks someone's going to put their hand up. And he doesn't just do it once. He then comes back again. It's like, maybe you weren't excited about that one. Guess what? I've had another dream. And all of you are going to worship me. Raise your hand. Who's excited? Like, at 17, you're going, how do you not see what this is going to do? Of course they don't like you. And so the passage that we're looking at today just sort of ends with that. It's like, okay, so what do we know about Joseph from these 11 verses? He's an entitled, self-centered, kind of naive guy. There you go. The reason I want to look at it, though, today and to stop there for a second is to say that Joseph is not some guy on a pedestal who lives this great life and then has this coat and it's this beautiful coat of many colors and then his brothers are jealous and they tear him off a pedestal. This is a guy, and I'm not saying he deserves everything that's going to come into his life, but he's also not blameless in why people don't like him. It's kind of obvious why people don't like him. And so what happens for Joseph is, is that he has to encounter some things over the course of the verses and chapters to come in his life that you and I need to be considering and thinking about today. And it's this, it's how are you and I shaped as human beings? How do we shape our lives? How do we change our lives? Because Joseph needs his life to look different. He is, he is, he is somebody, and over the course of this passage of, of, of looking at his life, he's going to change. How does that happen? How does God shape and change and form you? What are the patterns that exist in your life that God can be using to shape and to form your life here today? Some of which we see in Joseph's life, but at this point, many of which we don't. It's the absence of many of these things that you notice. So what causes this? What factors are there that has this 17-year-old living the way he is? Well, if we're being honest, and I know we're not supposed to say this probably in church because Jacob is sort of a revered name in the Bible. Jacob's the father of Joseph, right? When God introduces himself in the Old Testament, he often says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you get in that line, you're not all bad, right? Like if God is referring to you in that way. But I think it's also fair to say that from these 11 verses, Jacob is not up for father of the year. 
here, right? And it creates some things that form and shape Joseph's life that make him kind of entitled and self-centered and naive. For example, his dad basically, it says in the text, because he was old and proud that he could still have kids. Like, look at that. Look what I did. You're my favorite now, right? You're now my favorite. And as a parent, you can write this down, parents, it's not good to have favorites, right? It's not good. And, and, and it's especially not good to kind of look at everyone and publicly announce it, right? It's like, hey, there's 12 of you. Want everybody to know this is my favorite, right? All of the rest of you, you're okay. But Joseph, he's incredible. He's my, I'm going to treat him differently. I'm going to give him different allowance to buy clothes. I'm going to kind of just give him different jobs that aren't as hard and aren't as reckless as what you guys do. He's special. Has he earned it? Nope. I just choose it, right? That's going to create something. And it's weird as a parent to think about at what point does our loving our children actually harm them? Like, where is that where you're like creating and you're mentally, this is what my child's life needs to look like and this is what it needs. Like, that's important. That's your job as a parent. But where's that line? Because Jacob's love of Joseph actually does not help his formation at this point. It's hurting it. And I don't know the line. I mean, as a parent, I don't know where that line is, but it's worth thinking about. Where is that line? So how are you shaped? How are we molded? What needs to be a part of our lives? And it's New Year's is a great time to be thinking about that. Because at New Year's, there's a lot of us who are making resolutions. Statistically, most of you have already made resolutions of what 2017 is going to look like. And statistically, most of you have already broken the resolutions that you made. But we do it, right? It's like, I want my life to look different. I kind of want some things to look different. And so what I'd like us to do today is to use this story of Joseph as a starting point of what is necessary for our formation as men and women. How does God shape and mold our lives so that we really come alive? And whenever I think about the idea of formation, the author that I usually think about is an author named Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is a retired pastor. He's an author. He lives on a lake in Montana and writes books now. It's a rough life that Eugene Peterson lives. But he writes books, and they are a lot of them about the formation of people. How does God shape and mold our lives? What do we see in our lives, and what do we often in this passage not see with Joseph as he's being formed? And Eugene Peterson makes two points that I'd like you to think about today, and I'd like you to think about this week in terms of our, how you are being shaped. Because no matter how old you are, where you are on your journey, you are being shaped and molded and formed right now. Every one of us who's here today is being molded and shaped. The question is, how does God shape us? Eugene Peterson's two points to this. He says, the first thing is that if your life is really going to be reshaped, God has to be the author of any true transformation. That's number one. God has to be the one who does it. He talks about this in his book called Working the Angles. And what Eugene Peterson says is that most of us don't open ourselves to what does God really want to do in my life? And that's, that's what, like, for example, most New Year's resolutions are. Most New Year's resolutions, we're not going, what does God want to do? We start with like, well, I want this, and this needs to look different. And Eugene Peterson says is that you can't be the author of your own true change. This is what he means. What you can control is you can change circumstances, but you can't really change your life. You can change circumstances sometimes. Sometimes you can't even do that. But sometimes you can't really, but you can't really change your life. So what do we mean by that? Well, take, for example, what is the most common New Year's resolution that people make? The most common one is I'm going to eat healthier and I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to get healthier this year. And I want you to know if that's your New Year's resolution, I think it's a great thing. I'm not down on that at all. I hope you keep it. It's a great, great thing. Join CrossFit. 
Learn to do more push-ups than you can do in a minute right now, right? Learn to do more pull-ups in a minute than you can do right now. It's a great thing, but here's the deal. You're still going to be you doing more push-ups than you can do right now. Your life is not going to radically change because of that. It's not that it's bad, but you can change some parts of things, but you're not going to like change your will and your core and your heart and your mind by that. Or another common New Year's resolution is about jobs, right? I'm going to work harder, I'm going to get an advancement, or I'm going to get a new job, and this year I'm really going to mean it, and this year I'm going to buckle down, and I'm going to achieve these goals and stuff. That could be great. I'm going to do this in school, I'm going to achieve honor roll, I'm going to... That's fantastic. I want you here. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're still going to be you as you do that. That's changing stuff and changing some external things, but it's not true change. One social commentator talks about it this way. He says, he says that when you look at most people's lives, most of our lives, your life and my life, he said one of the things that we look at of how people think of change is the proliferation in our society today of how many times people move right? Move to new cities. It's really uncommon for someone to say, I mean, Austin's a great example of that, right? Most people you meet in Austin, and I'm one of them, are people who move here from somewhere else. I mean, some of you grew up in the city, and that's great, but that's not typical, right? I mean, Austin's a place that is a product of this cultural movement. I lived in New York after college, and then I went to Washington, D.C. three years, and then I lived in Austin for a little while, and, and maybe you'll stay, maybe you move, but the point is, is this, this commentator was saying, that's fine if you need to move, mostly for a job is the reason people move. But what he said is, is that many people in our culture today, they think that when they move, their life's going to look totally different. And what he said is, unfortunately, when you move, you take yourself with you. So you can go live in a different place and have all of these new people and do all of these new places and live in a new house and everything else. But after a while, what you're going to realize, it doesn't change your heart. It doesn't change your will. It doesn't change your mind. You can make those kind of changes. You can change circumstances. But Eugene Peterson says God is the only one who can really change a life. We have to acknowledge that from the beginning. It's not that changing circumstances are bad, but you aren't going to really look and be that different at the end of this year if that's the scope of what your goals are for this year. So how do we get in touch with what God wants to do in our life? Do we need it? I mean, some of you might be right now going, hey, I just want to tweak some circumstances and that's fine. Like, I'm just okay with that. And I want you to think about what that means. What you're saying, if you're saying, I just need a little tweak. I don't need a major, I don't need to really change. I just need a little adjustment, right? Ask the people who love you if that's true, that'll speak the truth. You, if you believe that, you're probably suffering from the same complex Joseph is in this passage, who's like, I had a dream and everybody loves me and worshiped me, right? Like, isn't it great? You're probably not seeing your life very accurately. What we're saying, if you don't need real change, if you just need to change your circumstances, is that what you're saying is, I'm a pretty amazing person. I'm pretty incredible. I mean, I really am actually not even pretty incredible. I'm a really great person who does really great things all the time with people. And my relationships are really great. My marriage Every day it gets better than the day before. Every day it's just a new level of depth and love and intimacy. Every day my friendships are great. Every day I look at my children as a parent and I'm like, how was your day, kids? And my kids are just looking at me going, gee willikers, dad, it was swell. How was your day? My day was swell too. You know, like we just go on. If that is your life, if that's what it looks like, then you don't need to listen to any of this. And you don't need to listen to the story of Joseph. It also means that you're looking at our city and our country and our world today going, look at the world. 
Look at our country. Look at our city. It's all daisies and rainbows and unicorns. It's just great. Look at, look at our world. I watch the news and I'm just filled with hope every day. Filled with hope of the beauty of where our world is headed and everything good within it. Every time, that's what I see. If that's where you really believe you are and your relationships are and the world is, then go make a New Year's resolution and just carry on. If you believe that you need more than that, and let me just start by telling you, I know I need more than that in my life, in my marriage, as a parent, as a friend, as a son, as a brother, as a pastor, as a coworker. If you need more than that, Eugene Peterson says, God can reshape your life. God can do it. Things can change. That's number one. Number two is, the way you open yourself to it is what he calls working the angles. This is where the whiteboard comes in. It's not even a whiteboard, it's a, it's a flip chart. We couldn't even go whiteboard, we just went flip chart. Now I want to apologize as I begin this, because this illustration is causing me to lean into two of the things I am least gifted at in the world. And yet the illustration, and it's not mine, it's Eugene Peterson's, is so good that it's worth, the, it's worth trying. The first thing it causes me to lean into is, is illustration and drawing. God did not gift me the gift of any kind of artistic or fine motor skills at all when it comes to this stuff. So I just acknowledge that up front. It's a disclaimer up front. Number two, if God gifted me anything less than art and illustrations, it is math. And we are going to be using some geometry here to try to illustrate what Eugene Peterson says is working the angles, is opening yourself up to how God reshapes us. Now, my geometry teacher in high school right now would be looking at you going, run. Get out of here and run, because if his geometry skills are necessary to make a point, you don't want to listen to what it is. But we're going to try. We're going to try. Ready? Let's do it. Okay, there we go. That's what I need, because you're going to have to carry me here. Uh, see, this might be, I might have messed this up already. What is that? That's it. That's the whole thing. We're done. Um, all right, that is a triangle. Anybody know what kind of triangle? At the, at one of our services. Yeah, you guys are all smart. All right, I'm going to confess something, and this is the sermon that goes on the internet. I thought it was an isosceles triangle until someone said equilateral today, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's definitely an equilateral. Totally an equilateral. Um, what is that? It's a, okay. It's a triangle, guys. All right. I know some of you are trying to show off right now. It's a right with a nine and an acute and a blah. It's, it's a triangle. This, we're just, stay with me at my level here. That's one triangle. That's another triangle. All right. Actually, I was pointing at nothing then, which that could be illustrative of this too. This one. All right, that, yes, of course, that is an isosceles triangle, duh. <laughs> These are three triangles that are shaped and formed differently. Eugene Peterson's point is this. Most of us 
see the shape of our lives versus the shape of another person's life, and what we look at and admire or feel jealous of or feel superior about is how our sides, the visible parts of our life, look compared to someone else. And so we notice the, the lines in a, in a shape like this, in a triangle. We notice um, the career that they have or the family that they have or what their children are doing or the uh, prayer life they seem to have and all these different things that form them into the person they are. And our idea is, I want to go from this to this. I want my life to change from here to here. I want to be reshaped or reformed. And we focus on the lines because that's what we see. Eugene Peterson says that the way we get in touch with God to understand how God wants to shape us is that we have to work the angles. Because what makes this triangle different from this triangle that's different from this triangle are not the lines, but it's the angles. It's the angles that you shift these little points of connection right here. It's these points that when they shift just a little bit, they reshape the trajectory of the lines that are coming out from them, and the triangle begins to look different. Does that make sense? And so Eugene Peterson's point is, is that the wrong way to think that your life is going to look different is paying attention to the lines and saying, I want my line to look more like this. I want my life to look more like this. I'm going to do this instead. But he says, what are the angles so that the lines actually start to change and be reformed? This is how we're formed. And the angles... Eugene Peterson talks about are the simple tasks like prayer, like living in community with other people and telling them the truth of how they can pray for you, like being generous with other people, like saturating yourselves in the scriptures. He says that the easiest thing at the beginning of the new year is to start with some big, bold plan that we're unrolling. Here's what covenant, what we're going to do in 2017, and no one's ever seen this before, and your life's going to look different, and my life's going to look different, and our life's going to look different, and, and you should try this in your life, and if you do this, your body's going to look like this, or your grades are going to be like this, or your health is going to be like this, or your life is going to be like this. And Eugene Peterson says that it's times like this when we're talking about goals and formation that we work the angles really carefully. And the way that we do that as covenant is not new. It's not something we've never talked about before. On your way and in your seats are our community life guides that every quarter are given out. Every quarter are in our cornerstone. We put these out for you today so that you can take these home with you. If you didn't get one in your chair, you can get one on the way out today. These are our guides for what working the angles actually looks like. And it's not that these just random activities. We're not just kind of going, oh, there's a big list of everything you can do. They're divided into four basic rhythms that are the rhythms Eugene Peterson talks about. And they're the rhythms we're going to see in Joseph as he matures that he starts to adopt that change his life forever. And they are about prayer, about intimate fellowship, about studying scripture, and about being extravagantly generous. It was the four rhythms that the first church were built upon. And the practice of them again and again and again and again and again. It is not about coming up with some new thing no one's ever thought about before. Now is the moment to be disciplined in the small things that allow us to encounter God so that he can begin changing our hearts, our minds, our wills, so that the lines in our life start to change and are molded. What does that look like for you to work the angles? What does that look like in your life? I invite you 
to consider how you can get in touch with the God who doesn't just tweak us, doesn't just give us some suggestions, but at the end of this year might completely change your existence and our world if we'll stop long enough to pay attention to listen. It's good news to see what God has in store for us all this year. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day that you would teach us about what working the angles might look like for us. That you would lead us and guide us in this journey that we are on to not just be content with circumstances changing, with things being tweaked and looking a little different, but by really going for the transformation where we can find life and life abundant, joyful existence. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in these basic disciplines, not to get swept off our feet by big romantic ideas, but being disciplined in the daily call to walk with you and to do so as community. We don't have to do it by ourselves. Lead us in how we're supposed to take a step in one of these areas, one of these basic commitments. And may 2017 be a year when we see you reshape the lines of our life where we come fully alive in you. We pray this and trust in this in advance and thank you in advance for what you'll do in us as we work the angles together as a community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.